This is a crazy old white man from the hood by Lee Gaylord, Chapter 6, A Reformed Drunk Living in a Bar. I could not afford my share of the rent because I was paying back the bail money from the run-in with the law. The client had a bar, and I talked him into letting me get a live there and work out of the bar. He agreed. And I did his monthly accounting for free and moved my computer and myself into the bar. I also became a bouncer. I was probably the oldest bouncer, around 49, but I was sober and I knew how to talk to people. It was a redneck bar in a mostly black neighborhood and a strip of motels. Later, I lived in a motel next to the bar. This was a section of a main drag that had some hookers, drug addicts, drug dealers. As was anywhere I lived, I got to know the street people first off. Sharon and I did not see much of each other because I wasn't driving and it was out of the city. After a while, the owner of the bar said that he needed a barmaid. I said, why not give Sharon a try? He said the customers were mostly bigots. They won't want her attending bar. I told him, you are a borderline bigot, and you like to look at black women. You know you like Sharon. She has the kind of personality and looks to make a man want her. Most men fantasize about black women, and most black men fantasize about white women. I know that white women like Sharon too. If you bring her in here, I'm willing to bet you that she will make more tips than any of your barmaids ever made. And you will make more too. On her first night, the day barmaid worked with her. And they shared tips. The day barmaid made three times as much as she ever did. The barmaid twice as much as it ever did. The word at the redneck bars was a cute little black bitch tenant bar and the nightlight. That brought in more customers. As long as she worked there, the bar made more money than before. It did not make as much as the first night, but it improved greatly. Every day, I had someone saying that they were going to steal her away from me. They all failed. I met a young guy who said he was a Golden Gloves champ. Problem was that almost every word that came out of his mouth was a lie. One day he borrowed $20 from me. I never saw it again. He helped a friend of mine, and then a friend of his. He stole some tools from my friend's friend. He also owed my friend money. 
Then he had the nerve to badmouth me to my lady when he tried to get her, to, her for himself. What really made me mad was that when he tried to borrow money from her, from me, I turned him down, so he went to my lady. She said no. I heard about it, and I told him off. Later that night, he told me he was a narc. I tried not to laugh in his face. A narc would never tell me he was a narc. Everyone knew that I knew the dealers. The next morning, I was talking to a friend he owed. We decided that we were fed up with him, so we decided to drop a dime on him. We went to the restaurant, where he always had breakfast. The clientele was varied from businessmen to hookers. Dealers also ate there. We spread the word that our friend said he was a narc. A dealer told him he better leave town and not come back. Never did see him again. After a month, Sharon got sick and had to quit. After a while, he needed a bartender, and I was able to get the motel room with what I made from bartending. When I attended bar, the clientele became mixed. My customers were workers from local businesses, regulars, hookers, and drug dealers. I told the hookers up front that I did not allow them to solicit my customers. If the customers bought them drinks and took them out, that was fine. I told the drug dealers not to bring in or sell their drugs in the bar. They could come in for a drink and my fantastic half-pound burgers, but they had to have their IDs. My boss, Bill, was an alcoholic and my biggest problem. I would cut a customer off and he would try to buy him a drink. He would sit and stare at some of the customers. He would give me a hard time when I would pour a heavy shot. One night it was close to closing time. A big customer came in. He was about 6'6", weighed about 350 pounds. All the customers left except for the boss's good buddy, a redneck. The big ugly guy was almost in tears. My wife is dying from cancer. The doctors say that she has a few days left. She's all doped up, but still in pain. I said I understand how you feel. She is in pain and soon she will no longer feel the pain. She will be in a better place where she can watch over you. She will still be with you in your heart. When you are hurting, she will be with you. Think of the good times and how she would want you to be happy. He was starting to come out of his depression when Bill, who was about five feet six, and less than half his weight, asked him if he wanted to arm wrestle. 
The customer looked at him like he was nuts and said, No, I want to Bill, and I told him to leave the guy alone. Then Bill started to bother the guy about it. The customer got up, and the redneck grabbed the gun from the, under the bar. I said, Put that dumb thing back. And Bill, you shut your mouth. Customer said, okay, I'll arm wrestle. They went to the end of the bar and brought out the telephone books. Even with two telephone books, they were not close. Bill was trying to get it set, and he was hurting the customer's arm. And he was getting pissed, to say the least. The redneck pulled the gun again. I grabbed the gun and said, Red, sit your dumbass down and stay out of this. Bill, stop making an ass out of yourself. The customer said, thanks for your help. Even with the hassle and with the two idiots, he said, I feel better. He left and I had to get rid of Bill and Red so I could close up. The customers would ask me about the hookers. I would tell them just remember the main rule when dating. Do not go to sleep. The next day they would come back and say she stole $300 from me. Can you get it back? I would ask did you go to sleep? The answer was always the same, yes, and when I woke up, she was gone with my money. I said, I told you, don't go to sleep. What do you do? You go to sleep. She's just doing her job. One night, one of the local girls made a pig. The John had a briefcase with $150,000 in it. The fool went to sleep. Luckily... He did not meet her in the bar. There were two brothers on the street. They sold drugs and were wannabe pimps. One brother had one hooker working for him. He was approached by a couple guys in suits. They told him to find the girl that got the money. They told him if he did not turn her in and the money over to them, that he would get a broken arm and be given another week. He left town. I was tending bar and Samantha walked in. She was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. We looked at each other and there was an attraction that neither of us could understand. As we talked we found out that we had both just lost our fathers. Her father was born the same date and time that I was. Her father was a drug dealer down south, and she was involved in the business with him. Before he passed away, he sent her up to uh, this area. Mr. Big bought his drugs from her father. He was taking care of her welfare and ran a room for her and the kids. He was busted, 
after her father died and she was out of a place to stay. I lived in the motel next door. For some reason I felt that she could be trusted. She had two beautiful children. I gave her the key to the motel room and told her she could stay with me until she could get in a place. At first we were torn between <coughs> a father and a daughter love and a lover love. She told me that if I was 10 years younger and black, she would marry me in a minute. I told her I did not want to be 10 years younger. And as for the black part, turn off the lights and piss me off, and she would think I was black. When I get angry, street talk comes out. She became my daughter. She called me daddy and the kids called me granddaddy. I only had one bed, so she and I slept on, on the top two-thirds and the kids on the bottom third. She stayed a couple of weeks and got a room on her own. One of the hookers, Helen, was in the streets with her daughter, Elaine. Elaine would be in the motel when her mother was going doing tricks. When Samantha was with me, she would visit us. When I was tending bar, Elaine would babysit for Samantha's children when she would go out or come to the bar. As with most of the hookers, Helen had a problem with crack. This guy I met at Coney Island next door fell for Helen. He said, Lee, I want to let Helen and Elaine move in with me. I can't take care of them, and Helen, I can take care of them, and Helen will be able to stop what she's doing. I said, Jack, deep inside, Helen is a good person, but she is a crack addict, and Elaine is always taking, asking for money. You're asking for trouble. He did not listen to me. And he took them in. Helen tried, but after a few days, Jack came into the bar. He ordered a seven and coke. He never came in the bar before, and I wondered why now. He gave me the answer. Lee, this is my first drink in 17 years. I woke up this morning, and Helen and Elaine were gone. There are things in my gun collection worth over $5,000. I am a reformed drunk, now a recovering alcoholic, and I had to serve a recovering alcoholic his first drink after a long recovery. He was in every night after that for a month. Elaine's 17th birthday was coming up, and Samantha thought we should give her a party. The boss said he could, that we could use the bar as long as it was over by 3 in the afternoon. Samantha decorated the bar. We picked up some presents and had her friend there. Her, her mother got some ice cream and cake, and the bar supplied the pop. Helen said, look at her. She has never had so much fun. I'm going to quit using drugs and straighten myself out.
Helen got a job that lasted a week on Elaine wanted things that Helen could not afford and she went back to the streets. Elaine was visiting Samantha and the kids. I was tending bar. Helen was in the next room with a truck driver. He had $98 between the mattress and the box springs. After Helen left, it was gone. He called the police. Samantha and I were thrown out because Elaine was with us, and they figured that we were in on it. We went to a friend's place for a month. Then I moved downtown, and Samantha became a live-in house cleaner for her older man. One night, the boss was talking to this black man outside of the back door of the bar. This customer thought the boss was having a problem. He wasn't, and started to go out there to kick some ass. Now this clown was about six feet two, 300 pounds, and 30 years old. I was six feet one, 250 pounds, and almost 50 years old. I got in front of him and told him to back down. He kept coming. I threw him up against the wall and told him that if he did not sit back down, I was going to kick his ass. The next day he was sober and asked me if I threw him against the wall. I told him, you own a bar and you should know that the biggest problem when there's trouble is when a drunken customer gets involved. If you do it again, I will kick your ass. He said, I used to break bones for a living. I said, I still do. Never had trouble from him again. The day bartender and her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend were in the bar. The daughter and her boyfriend were arguing, and it was getting close to blows. The mother said that she would talk to her daughter and asked me to talk to her boyfriend. We went over, and as I was ready to approach him, a customer grabbed his arm. He thought it was me and swung at me and connected with my jaw. Realizing he made a mistake, he apologized. I understood and accepted his apology, but I was hurting for three weeks. From that point on, I knew there was going to be a problem. If I knew there was going to be a problem, I went to the customers. I thought would get involved and said, I'm going to have to cut a customer off. He will argue with me, and it will look like a fight is starting. Just sit down. Do not get involved unless I ask for your help. I would have to kick your ass for trying to help. customer comes in two or three nights a week and buys drinks for the house. Times brings in people off the street and buys for them. He would spend over $100 each time and would tip me at least 20 Each time I would have to cut him off. Jim, I have to cut you off. If you want, I can give you some coffee. 
and you can sit for a while before you go. I know that you aren't driving, but it's too dangerous out there if I let you drink anymore. He would start yelling. I would come out from behind the bar and talk to him. I would walk with him to the door and he would yell at me all the way. We would get to the door and he would thank me and go The other customers would cheer and clap their hands and each gave me another tip. A good bartender has to be able to talk to the customers. When they are down, he has to help them. He has to be a friend and a shrink. He has to be able to talk his way out of a fight. Above all, he has to stay sober. One morning I was in a restaurant for breakfast. I was sitting at the counter next to Santa Claus. It was close to Thanksgiving when people were starting to think about Christmas. Santa was smoking a cigarette. He saw a kid come in with his mother and he moved the ashtray from in front of him to in front of me and said, Santa doesn't smoke, so this is your cigarette. The kid came and right up to him and said, Santa, what are you doing here? He said, I'm going around checking my list and see if you are being a good boy. What would you like for Christmas, young man? The kid happily told him, and his mama looked happy, that she said uh, not having to wait in line for Santa at the mall. Over next week, Santa and I had breakfast together, and he told me a story. Hope I can find him when the time comes to start a rehab center. He said he knew people that had help that could help, and he too would help me. Once a lady came up to Santa and said, "Santa, you are my last hope." I live in Birmingham, Alabama. My son, who was 14, ran away from home. I'm sure he came to Detroit. Please help me, Santa. With the information she supplied, he did some checking, and he found her son. He talked to him and convinced him to go home. He took him to the motel to see his mother and talked to them both about their problems. He told me that he got a letter from her a few months later that their son was doing well in school and they were very happy. I looked in his eyes and I could see he was happy that that we were there to help. Before he became Santa, he had a massive heart attack. While in the hospital, the doctors and nurses commented on how he looked like Santa Claus. He was going to have surgery, and the odds for recovery were about 50-50. He prayed and told God that if the operation was a success, he would take vacation time from Thanksgiving to Christmas and play Santa Claus. Every year, he would ride a red Lincoln with a white interior and go to the schools of Santa. He also went to rehab centers and hospitals. 
during the rest of the year he was available for schools too. It was surprising how many kids would come up to him. I was the only male bartender. I worked two nights during the week, Friday and Saturday nights, and double on Saturday and Sunday. The clientele changed slightly when I worked the bar. The local hookers would come in, so would some of the drug dealers and other people in the neighborhood. The law was that hookers could not solicit. Drug dealers could not carry or sell drugs into the bar. When I worked on the weekend, the cops would send in drug-sniffing dogs to check the bathrooms and vice would watch the bar. The boss wasn't happy, but he made more money and the dealers would make sure the customers were safe on the streets outside the bar. Dealers knew that street robberies would hurt their business. They saw a robbery in progress. They would step in and stop it. I had two customers tell me how they were saved by the dealer. One night a guy came in the front door and went into the bathroom. Another guy came in the side door and went into the bathroom. In five minutes they came out and left the way they came in. The boss was there so I told him to watch the bar. I followed the guy out the front. He went to the back and got in the car with the other guy. I went to a dealer and told him that it looked like they were going to stick up the bar. I went back to the bar and placed two guns in convenient places behind the bar. The boss asked what was happening. I told him that he might get robbed. The dealer came in and said he found the guys and convinced them that it would not be healthy for them to mess with me. He and the boss shot a game of pool. He had a black cane with a gold handle. The boss said, that's a nice cane, can I see it? He was looking over it and he turned the handle and lo and behold, there was a sword. I had one of those for, for the night time in the hood when I was alone and it had a five inch butter knife too butterfly knife too they both looked at me and I smiled I need one of those I said as the boss was standing there with his mouth open that was the boss's I'm drunk on my ass and I don't know what the hell to do look when the boss recovered he asked me should I make him leave and not bring it in anymore this man just saved your bar from getting robbed he possibly saved our lives you do not want to piss him off shoot the rest of the game and and I will ask him not to bring the cane in again. For now, I will hold it for him. The guy shook his head and smiled, and he gave me the cane. He played a few more games with the other customers. I gave him his cane and thanked him, and he left. 
The boss was sleeping with a young girl, a younger girl. She was 18 and he was 58. Those behind the bar were told that she was 21 and a server. <coughs> His wife knew that he was seeing someone. She came into the bar and a hooker was talking to him. She thought the hooker was the one and jumped her. I tried to get between the two and Red, drunk as a skunk, tried to pull the hooker off. The girlfriend and the boss were watching. The girlfriend had a shit-eating grin on her face and the boss had a blank what in the hell do I do now stare on his face. Finally, I got them apart. And the buddy out of the way. She accused the hooker of sleeping with her husband. The hooker laughed said she wasn't. I told the wife that I knew her and I knew she was not sleeping with her husband. Sad part is that whenever she was in the bar the girlfriend was talking was there talking to him and the wife and the girlfriend were friendly. The girlfriend never got caught because she was so obvious. The wife looked ten times as good as the mistress. A lady came into the bar. She was very upset and said, My husband and I had an argument. He was drunk and had a fifth of whiskey before the argument. I got out of there and I think he will come here. Don't serve him because he probably has had, uh, had more after I left. Lo and behold, Hubby came in the bar. I watched him as he went down to the end of the bar, or where his wife was, and started to argue. He asked for whiskey. I said, I'm sorry, I cannot serve you because you've already had too much. If you sit at the other end of the bar, I will give you some coffee. The boss came in. This is always a low point of my evening. After saying hello to the husband, he went to talk to the wife. The husband was drunk and irrational. He said to me, he is messing with my old lady. I know that he was hoping that he could get her and go out with him. But she doesn't want to trade one drunk for the other. The husband was getting worried and went to the other end of the bar. Thinking there may be trouble, he said, Can I buy you a drink and let you two talk it over your problem? I looked at her and she looked at me. We were both thinking there was going to be trouble. The boss gave them both a drink. I went to him. I asked him to come to the other end of the bar for a minute. I looked at him and said, from now on, could you please stay away from behind the bar when I'm working? Especially do not serve drinks. He and his wife were arguing at home. He was a drunk, and she came here. He came to the bar drunker than you, and I would not serve him. I convinced him to drink coffee and sober up. You come in and flirt with her, 
and he starts steaming. So you offer him a drink. This bar is a corporation. Is corporations protect you if an employee serves someone that is drunk? If the drunk kills someone, you may lose the bar, but not everything else you own. You served a man that I cut off. If he goes out and gets himself killed, or someone else, it will be considered your fault. The wife saw that I would not serve him. She saw you serve him. She can own your houses and your bar. Please, get your butt out of the bar and do not come back tonight unless you want to be a bartender. He asked, Will you get me a beer? I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. said, I am the bartender and you are the owner. I have the power to cut you off and to kick you out of the bar. You can fire me, but not until after my shift. All I have to do is call the cops and tell them you will not leave and they can take you to jail if you do not get a ride home. He left and I talked to the unhappy couple. The man sobered up a little and they went home. The lady came in and sat next to the guy at, a bar, at the bar. They were pissed and I think that they had a hand in each other's lap. After about a half an hour, the lady came in on a mission. It was her husband. Before I knew it, she smacked him in the head, called him every name in the book, and started on the other woman. The other woman said, I didn't know he was married. He's not wearing a wedding band. The wife grabbed his hand and noticed that he had another ring on in its place. The guy wasn't stupid enough to realize that you could always tell there was a ring there. The wife said, get your ass home and pack your things. Do not be here when I get home. Where are you going, he asked. Let me see your wallet, she said. He gave it to her, and she took the money and threw it back at him. She continued, Your girlfriend and I are going out on your money. Hopefully, we will get laid. She gave me a five and left with the other woman. The husband said, That's my money. I looked at him and said, No, it's mine. She gave it to me. I'll buy you a beer. Thanks, I guess I was screwed up, he said, like a hurt puppy. I asked, is this the first time? He said, no, the third. I told him, I think it is time for you to go like she said. I never saw either one of them again. Really didn't want to. When you tend bar... You sometimes feel like a cross between a shrink and a preacher. 
maybe someday they will let bartenders perform wedding ceremonies. I talked to the customers. When they were down, I would usually help them up. I had some regulars that tipped me very well. A woman and her father and his ex-girlfriend would come in. The daughter would give me $20. She would make her father tip me $10. And the ex-girlfriend would give me 20 A gay guy used to come in. He knew that I was straight. He also knew that he could talk to me. And I would not judge him. He also had AIDS. He would tip me 5 or $10. One time gave me $50 in food stamps. We had a Halloween party. A gay customer came with a long blonde hair, beautiful red dress. When a guy would hit on him, he told him up front that he was not a woman. They were thankful that he was honest. The best costume was Jason from Friday the 13th. He was about 6'4". He just stood in the corner holding a machete and stared at everyone. You would look at him and shiver. No one could figure out who he was. I had talked to his wife half the night and she said he was visiting the family for a week. If you looked into his eyes you could see deep dark pools no movement when you were looking he would not even blink he was by the door that most of the people came in and as soon as they saw him you could see a look of fear in their eyes I was helping to unbar but I was mainly the bouncer the boss was his usual happy mood. He asked who Jason was, and I told him, I don't know. He asked if machete was real, and I said yes, but it's covered with aluminum foil to make it look like it wasn't. He told me to get the machete. I told him he was, if he was worried, he could ask the guy for it. The guy kept his machete and didn't kill it. Oh, anyone. He won the first prize, and everyone was surprised with who he was. He was probably the gentlest man I have ever known. He and his wife were a beautiful pair, and they pulled it off well. She's the one that told me her husband was gone for the week. Chris was a regular. Chris was a big man. When sober, a nice guy. When he got drunk, you were not sure what to expect. He was a good tipper and bought drinks for people. One night he came in and picked up with two guys he picked up on the street. Both were crack addicts. Joe was about 22. He would come to me a lot to talk about going to rehab. The next day he said he was gone. He did go in, and as far as I know, he kicked a habit. Willie was an older addict, 
And there was little hope for him. Chris gave, gave them each $10, but he bought them drinks. Joe kept his and only had drinks that Chris bought him. Willie spent most of his because he could not wait for Chris to buy one for him. Chris would play the oldies on a jukebox and walk around the bar. When I figured that he had an hour to go, I went to the other customers and said, I'm going to have to cut Chris off soon. When I do it, will you look like I am going to have a big problem? I can handle it, and I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the fun. Chris surprised me. He ran out of money before I cut him off. He ordered drinks for him and his buddies. I passed out the drinks and he went into his wallet and it was empty. He said, I'm out of money. Can you put it on a tab for me? I said, sorry Chris, I can't. If they don't get paid for, then they come out of my pocket. I go without food. I can't do that. I looked at Joe and Willie and said, Willie, seems like you spent your money. Joe, I know you still have yours. I think it's up to you to pay the $8. Before he could say anything, Chris said, he doesn't have to pay my debt. I said, Chris, all three of you were drinking. All three of you owe the tab. I don't care who pays for it, as long as one of you pays for it. Joe is the one with the money. So Joe is the one who has to pay. Joe said, Lee's right, Chris. I'll pay. Joe paid, and they went out of the bar in the back door. I heard a thud and went to the back door, and Chris was out cold. His buddies picked him up and carried him home. The next day, Joe went to rehab. Never saw him again, which means he probably made it. The next night, Chris was in the bar alone. He said two big black guys robbed him. I told him that he blew his money in the bar and passed out. Two black guys carried him home. Whenever I had a problem with a customer, I talked to him or her out of the bar. If it was real hairy, I got a standing ovation and good tips. As the title suggests, this was a redneck bar. I am a reverse Oreo. The two do not normally mix, but the customers like me, and they tried to hold their bigotry in when I worked. When I worked, there was a mixed clientele. The boss was a redneck too. A mixed couple came in, a white man and a black woman. They were at least 40, and the boss told me to card them. I looked at her, at him like he was crazy, and the customers looked at him like he was crazy, because he was crazy. The lady asked as she pulled out her driver's license, Why is he carding us? I answered, Do you want the truth or bullshit? 
the truth. He's a bigot. Okay. Female customers liked me because they knew I dated black women. They could talk to me knowing that I was not going to try to make time with them. They would, uh, could come to me with their problems. And that they could not talk to another man about. But a man would have the best answer. They knew I would be honest with them. One customer met his wife and married her in the bar. There would be nights that three of us would be the only ones in the bar. And one of those nights he said, if you miss that shot, you'll have to take off your top for the next game. She missed it, and she took off her top. Hubby knew that he didn't have to worry about me. I'm human, and she did look good. He went out of town for a month and asked me to spend some time with her so that she didn't get lonely. I did, and nothing happened. We knew all the friends. We were all friends, and nothing would happen. I could not do that with another man's wife, especially when he was good to her. If he was ex, he was ex-con, killed somebody in a fight. I would not want to piss him off. One night. Jack was in. He was having a few, and another customer's son, Jim Roy, said to his father, Ray Rob and Uncle Jay Job, that Jack sold him his first drugs when he was 18. Ray Rob said, that the guy got his son started on drugs five years ago when he was 18. Cost the family a fortune and rehab bills to get him clean. We're not going to do anything here, but when he leaves, we're going to beat the shit out of him. I said, I'm not defending drug dealing. Jack has been out of the business since then. He recently got out of prison. So, he has already paid for it. Your son was old enough to say no to his buddies. It was his decision to buy and use the drugs. He has no one to blame but himself. Did you talk to him about drugs? Or did you have the my kid can't do anything wrong attitude? Like you do know now. Are you blaming me, he said. Not necessarily. I'm saying that if anyone is to be blamed, it is your son and not you. If Jack wasn't around, he would have gone to someone else. Jay Job said, If you call the police, we'll kick your ass. I ignored him and went to Jack and I explained the situation. And he said, I'll go and take my chances. No, stay here, I said. 
and I will stick with you. A cop comes in the and he and he if a cop comes in he will talk to me. I will let him know the, the problem and you can leave with the cop. In half an hour Elaine will be in to take over. I will have her call the police from the office. I will stay until they come. Aren't you worried about what they will do to you? Hey man, I'm going with you. Tomorrow, they will have forgotten about it. They did. When I was tending bar, I would cut people off before they caused a problem. There were times when things got pretty hairy. I had to keep my cool and let everyone, including the boss, know that I was in charge. Once I made a decision, I could not back down. On some Saturday nights, police would set up decoy operations to, and the catch car would be parked in the parking lot to penalize me. They pulled over drunk drivers and got them to plead guilty to solicitation so they would not lose their driver's licenses or have higher insurance rates. The figures look great for a decoy operation, but I'm willing to bet that 90% of the bus were drunk drivers. Next chapter is chapter 7. It's called Downtown. Uh, before I close it off, though, I want to say that I hope you enjoy the book. And if you do, and if you want to buy it, it's available in the bookstores. Just look up the crazy old white man from the hood. They won't have it in stock, but you can order it. 